Well, good morning. You might not recognize me without my chin beard. Uh, the amazing chin beard, in my opinion. Laura did not quite agree with that. Uh, I went through quite a transition last Friday, dividing into two. And uh, anyway, it's now gone. And I've been told I look 10 years younger by my wife. Uh, who knows? So it is uh, Sunday morning for you. It is earlier yesterday for me. Um, this is the way we usually begin our services on Easter morning. He is risen. And that might be the saddest thing I've ever seen. It is not the same without y'all here. It is not the same without hearing the response. He is risen indeed. And I miss that dearly. It is like playing tennis by yourself. You just hit it and nothing came back to me at all. Uh, Such is life in this strange time that we're living in right now. And yet we have one glorious reason to rejoice this morning, uh, and that is that our Lord Jesus Christ is risen. Uh, It is Easter today. It is Resurrection Day today. It is the day that Christians around the globe celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And so you can imagine then, thinking back to the original Um, the first year that anyone got to celebrate this. But you can imagine if you were one of Jesus' disciples uh, during his earthly ministry and you're expecting that there's going to be this triumphant victory and and only then you you see or or you hear if you weren't there to witness it it, that Jesus has been arrested and, and then he's been given capital punishment. They're going to crucify him upon a cross with nine inch nails that are driven through his, his hands and his feet, more like his wrist and his ankles, but, but driven through his hands and his feet and, and, and that's going to be the end of it, Right? And then later that Friday, the the, the man that they believed was the Messiah, the Savior, the promised King, he is dead. He's dead. And then Saturday was the Sabbath and Luke 24 tells us that they rest on the Sabbath. That's what you do on the Sabbath. We can assume they also mourn on the Sabbath As the last of their hope drains out of them, leaving them feeling empty as they settle into the darkness of all hope being gone. And so then you can imagine that the joy they must experience on Sunday at the first, as the first light of hope begins to, to come over the horizon then as news spreads that Jesus has somehow, some way risen from the grave, that in fact this Jesus who their hope's been in, who they thought was gone when he was dead, that Jesus is now alive. And, and that's why we as Christians worship Jesus. Not because he was a good teacher long ago who died and had a lot of good things to say, but but because he is God, because he has conquered death, because he lives even now. We find that Jesus is the living Savior for our dying hope, or rather our living, the living Savior rather is our dying hope. Now then, I hope to show you today that because of Jesus' resurrection, that no matter how messed up the world that we live in is, and right now we're seeing how incredibly messed up the world we live in is, but no matter how much it is messed up, we can look forward to our own resurrection. We can look forward to that day. So then before we go any further, I should probably explain, I, I titled this sermon, The Three Anastasias, and if that doesn't make any sense to you, that's because 
The word Anastasia is, is Greek for resurrection, meaning coming back to life. Uh, that's what we're, we're talking about here. And full disclosure, you know me, um, once I had the title, The Three Anastasias, the old Wallflower song popped into my head and I couldn't stop singing it, The Three Marlenas. Uh, that's why you might recognize the sermon art from this week it, if you grew up in the 90s. All you young people have no clue what I'm talking about. You can just skip ahead. Uh, so anyway, the three Anastasias, the three resurrections is what we're going to be focusing on today. And, and thus, really we're focusing on why the resurrection matters. Well, why is this the central point that, that Christians focus on, that we focus on, that, that Christ has risen from the dead? What does it matter? And we're going to see that. Uh, and, and so then we're going to begin with, with just looking at the resurrection of Jesus uh, in a short 10 verses, I guess, yeah, 10 verses, uh, recorded in Matthew 28, verses 1 through 10. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and open to Matthew 28 and follow along. And listen. Now after the Sabbath, towards the dawn of the first day of the week, behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. For he has risen. As he said, Come, see the place where he lay, then go quickly and tell the disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Let's pray. Lord, as we watch our world suffer, we remember that you too suffered upon the cross. And your suffering and your death and your resurrection has secured for us, your people, a future where suffering and death will be no more. And so even today, or especially today, we look forward to our own resurrection with hope and anticipation. Lord, enlighten the minds of us all to understand your word. And I ask that you make our faith to be strong so that we might live with passion and and love for you and, and thus we will boldly speak of the forgiveness of sin found only in Jesus. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So the story of the resurrection is in all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And each of the Gospels give a little different detail on how that glorious Sunday actually unfolded and how various people respond to this world-changing news as it comes to them. And in the Gospel of Luke, right, uh, the angels tell Mary and Joanna that Jesus has risen from the dead. And the women tell this, go and take this information, and they go to the apostles and they tell it to the apostles and in Luke 24 11 we're told exactly how the apostles responds it reads but these words seemed to them an idle tale and they did not believe them this is the apostles 
the apostles, and, and all they have to say is that this, this is an idle tale, that it is simply unbelievable. Now, in the Gospel of John, we learn later in that day that most of the apostles actually see Jesus with their own eyes. They, they get to be in his presence, and thus they absolutely believe that Jesus is alive because they know that he's alive, except there is a, a particular apostle who's not there, a, a guy by the name of Thomas. Poor Thomas. You know, he's not present with them and he still doesn't believe. And in John 20, 25, we, we learn that Thomas says this. He says, unless I see in his hands the marks of the nails and place my finger into the marks of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Which, of course, earned him the um, nickname Doubting Thomas. And we still call him Doubting Thomas to this very day. Well, everyone except for Tim Durrett, who insists every time we call him that, no, no, he's believing Thomas, not counting, not doubting Thomas, believing Thomas. And, and maybe that's because Tim and Christine named one of their children Thomas. But Tim does have a point because eight days later after this event, after he says those words, Jesus shows up and Thomas sees him. And the first thing he says to Jesus is, my Lord and my God. Just from seeing him. He doesn't have to touch him. We never see anything like that. My, my Lord and my God. In other words, Thomas worships right then. In fact, that's the response we all have when we come to believe in the resurrection of Jesus. My Lord and my God. We, we, we see Jesus for who he is. And when I hear this story, if I'm honest, part of me is immediately jealous because I want to see the resurrected Jesus. I, I want that. I, I want the proof that, that Thomas gets. And I, I, I tend to think, you know, if, if you want to call me Doubting Thomas for the next 2,000 years, uh, that's fine if I can just stand before the face of Jesus bodily and speak face-to-face -face with Jesus. And, and you might feel the same way. And, and the truth is, we, we simply have to let that go. There's more to it, not just let it go, but we must let it go because in, in the Gospel of John, immediately after Thomas confesses that, that, that statement of worship, right? My Lord and my God to Jesus, Jesus responds to him and, and he says to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Blessed are, well, that's us. Uh, we who believe in Christ today, that's, that's us. We're the blessed ones according to Jesus. Jesus is talking about everyone who has faith since that day forward. And, and, and we don't get absolute proof, do we? do we? But we do receive the gift of faith. And Jesus himself says that we are more blessed than Thomas who got to look at him. We're more blessed than Peter and John and Mary and Joanna and any of the others who, who got to see Jesus with their own eyes after the resurrection. And, and so what I want to encourage you in this morning is to believe by God-given faith that Jesus is risen from the dead and that at the same time, I, I want to encourage you to know that you're not alone if there are days that you struggle to believe that. Listen, similar to the, the young father in Mark 9, 24, who, who says to Jesus, I believe, and follows it up immediately, I believe, 
Help my unbelief. There are times in my life when I found it was very difficult to believe these truths. In those times, I spent a lot of time in prayer telling God of my doubts. And I realized the irony of that. But that's where I went to tell God what my doubts were. I also find myself reading a great deal of the scriptures, particularly in the Gospels, where we see Jesus interacting with people. And we see how patient Jesus is with those who are struggling with doubts. And yet, they are truly seeking to believe. Leave, and I found great encouragement in those times for that. And, and listen, it, it, it's not one of those things we can push off because it really does matter what, what we believe. It really does matter that the resurrection actually happened. And, and it matters what, what you believe about the resurrection yourself because our, our sins, they're not redeemed. They're, they're not redeemed by embracing some of Jesus' moral teachings. Do you understand that? You know, trying to love your neighbor is not the same thing as having faith in Jesus Christ. It's not. And I, and I mention this because there are, there are so many theologically liberal um, people that are teaching theological uh, liberal things today that, that simply present Jesus as this amazing teacher, this good guy. We want to be just like him. He lived a great life and he's an example for you. And yet they still deny that Jesus is the Savior. They deny that he is divine, that he is God. They deny that he's resurrected from the dead. And, and that's not okay. Since it is absolutely necessary that this is a real historic event. Adam and Eve were real created people and they really did sin in the garden. And that's where you, you know, where, why you and I are born with a very real sinful nature and you and I have lived a very real sinful life and that requires a real savior who really lived and really died and yes, was really resurrected. And so when Jesus raises, or when God raises Jesus from the dead, it means that the work of God was effective. It, it means that it's accomplished everything that he set out to accomplish is accomplished by Jesus. It means that, that God actually accepted the sacrifice that Jesus makes on the cross. Do you understand that? If your faith is in Jesus, then your sins are forgiven. In other words, the debt that you owe Jesus has paid and God the Father has received that payment in full. And, and that's why throughout the Gospel of John, Jesus is always referring to, to God the Father as his Father, right? He's my Father, my Father, my Father. And, and yet immediately after the resurrection, when he, when he comes into the presence of Mary Magdalene, he, he says to her, and this is recorded in John twenty seventeen. he says, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And all that becomes hers because of Christ's death and resurrection. You see, we're not born children of God. We're, we're born enemies of God, but we are reborn as children of God. And, and this is accomplished through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. See, see listen, the, the resurrection of Jesus actually happened. It, it simply does not require you to agree with that for it to have actually happened. It's just pure historical truth. It happened. And yet we must respond to this event ourselves. We, we, we either ignore the resurrection, right? Or we deny the resurrection. Or we worship Christ, the risen Savior, the risen King. And, and that, I, I hope, explains 
Anastasia number one, right? The first resurrection, one resurrection. But, but what are the other two resurrections that we're going to talk about today? And, and here's the second one. The second resurrection is your soul, my soul, our soul. And, and people often wonder, you know, what, what is my soul? How do I make sense out of my soul? Well, you, you actually consist in two parts. You are a body and, and you are a soul. Two parts, but they're designed to actually go together. They're not intended to be apart. And they affect each other greatly, right? They're not completely separated in that sense. Now, you have a good idea what your body is because it's physical. You can touch it, right? You, you know it's there. It's the part we know so well. Um, unfortunately, I have more body than I wish I had. Anyway, in, in our bodies, we, we understand that we can, um, we can feel both pain and pleasure. We are so uh, sure about what our bodies are. Your soul, on the other hand, is a little bit less clear. Now, I've shared this story before because it's always just, it's just made an impact on me. On the, on the first day that I was studying philosophy at Texas A&M, my professor was sitting on the desk when we walked into the room, and he's just sitting there, swinging his legs, uh, smiling, talking to a few people that come by him. Uh, and, and then as the class got started, he goes off right off the bat and he asks, what is the essence of man? And, and by which he's asking, you know, what, what makes a person a person? And he asks, if, if I cut my hair, have I lost some of my soul? And we're all pretty confident. Well, no, absolutely not. You're in, of course not. And then he asked this. He asked, how much of my physical body must remain for me to still be fully human? And we students, we began to look at each other and because we absolutely sensed as a trap. We didn't know what it was. But we knew if we spoke up, we'd probably be the idiot in the room that everyone was aware of a few moments after that. And in that silence, as we're all kind of looking at each other, waiting for somebody to speak up, our professor reaches down and he actually takes his leg off and sets it on the desk next to him. And yes, you, you heard me absolutely right. He detached his leg, his actual leg, and, and he slid it out of the pants leg and set it on the desk. And, and then he asked this question, have I lost any of my being? We had no idea he had a prosthetic leg. No clue. You couldn't tell one bit. He, he then goes forward and takes off his other leg and puts it on the table next to him and asks, how about now? And we're all completely silent. I, I'm starting to wonder, is this guy a robot? I've never seen him before. It's the first day. Is he going to unscrew his head next? What, what else can come off of this man? And we're all, we're trying to see, are his hands real? What's real on him at this point? Anyway, his point was absolutely forever made in my life. We are physical beings, yes, but we also have an invisible part of us that, that, that is not destroyed, even if our body's destroyed. That, that remains forever. Now, keep in mind, the, the resurrection is, is, is when someone, a resurrection is when something dead is brought back to life, right? The dead body of Jesus was brought back to life. Now, in the second resurrection, what we're talking about is this, that we're talking about here, is, is the resurrection of the soul. At, at this moment, every living person on the planet either has a soul that is spiritually dead or a soul which has been resurrected through the gospel by faith in Jesus and is spiritually alive. Now, Ephesians 2 will help us see this. And listen to Ephesians 2.1. It says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of the world. Now, did you catch that? He says, We were dead in our trespasses and sin. Now, dead, 
dead. Not sick, not injured, not sleeping. Dead. And, and the dead do not contribute anything except laying there being dead. When Lazarus was dead and, and Jesus called out to him, did, did Jesus resurrect him first or did Jesus respond to the call of Jesus? And you know the answer because dead people do not respond. they just dead. The, the same is true of our souls. Remember in the Garden of Eden after Adam and Eve sinned, part of the punishment is, is death. And when you're first reading, you're like, oh, they're going to die now. And they don't die then. And you're thinking, oh, this must be a typo. What's going on here? There's, why aren't they dead yet? They should be dead. And, and they're not. And we realize, right, that, that, that something has changed them, though. They, they are now dying people, right? Their, their bodies begin to age and deteriorate. And they can now catch diseases. They could catch coronavirus. And they feel pain. And eventually, Adam and Eve's bodies do die, just like everyone else's bodies will die. See, as a result of sin, though, Adam and Eve were also spiritually dead. There's suddenly this wall between them and God, this separation between them and God, and this now tendency, this nature of sin that's going to go forward with them. And everyone's sense is born with that same sinful nature, born with that same separation from God. And in that sense, our souls are dead. Now, listen to these glorious words as Ephesians continues. Ephesians 2.4 But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated, and he has seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages we might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and the kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. When we believe that we are sinners and that the death and the resurrection of Jesus has actually happened, when, when, when you have faith in Jesus, it is because God has resurrected your soul. That's the reason. And, and here's the practical reality of this. When our bodies die, our souls are immediately in the presence of our Savior. That's a reality. We, we, don't, we don't shut down like computers into some, you know, soul sleep mode or nothingness. But, but rather our souls, that inevitable, you know, invisible part of us is present with God immediately. And that's why when, when Stephen, one of Christ's disciples in the book of Acts is, is stoned to death, he, he calls out as he looks out, he calls out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He knows it right then. That's why in Philippians 1.21, the Apostle Paul says he wants to die. And we're like, why? You're weird. Anyway, he wants to die to be in the presence of Christ. That's why. Because he wants to be with Jesus and he knows that will happen immediately. That's why in 2 Corinthians 5, 6 through 8, Paul says this. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Christian, let that be a comfort to you when you dwell on the future death you will inevitably experience or as you consider the death of loved ones who, have, uh, you know, who are redeemed by Christ and we've seen them die already. 
Christian, though your body will still die, your soul cannot die. It remains alive and you'll be in the presence of our Savior in death. Is it weird? Yeah, it's weird. Absolutely it's weird. When we talk about this stuff, we know people think it's weird because it's weird. But I also hope it's comforting to you because it's true. Because Jesus has won the victory over sin. We, we can say with Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, 55, oh, oh death, where is your victory? Oh, oh death, where is your sting? And you know the assumption, it's gone. Death, you've lost your power because Christ is victorious over death. You know, that's true both spiritually and, and physically then, right? And so the first resurrection of, of Jesus Christ rising from the grave is Jesus Christ rising from the grave. The second resurrection is your own soul being brought from the death from death to life by the power of Christ. The third resurrection is the resurrection of your actual physical body. Now, if you've got your, your Bible nearby, go ahead and turn over to 1 Corinthians 15. We're going to be there for a minute. And, and here, Paul, the Apostle Paul, is addressing a group who was denying that the resurrection was possible. Maybe you could imagine people in a culture who just thought the resurrection couldn't possibly happen. It's impossible. Maybe. I don't know. Um, anyway, starting in verse 12 of 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says this. It's an extended quote uh, from Scripture. <clears throat> now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead... How can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised... Your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people to be pitied. Now let's just stop there a moment. His, his point is that if, if Jesus has not been raised from the dead, we have no hope. No one has any hope if that's the reality. None. But, but he doesn't stop there. Like, this would be one of the most depressing passages in all of Scripture if it ended right there. If he's like, you know, you know hugs and kisses Paul, and that's the end of the letter. But it's not. He goes on. L listen, in verse 20, Paul continues. He says, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Did you hear it? Those who belong to Christ will be resurrected. And I know that's hard to believe sometimes. I, I, I've told y'all before, I, I like cemeteries in a weird way. I know it's not a normal thing. I've always enjoyed walking in them. They're kind of like parks without playgrounds or children. Um, not many people bother you there. Anyway, I, I like to walk through cemeteries, and particularly Sunset Cemeteries, which is near our house here in, in town. And, and, and I love to see the names of these people that have lived in Manhattan uh, for the last 150 years that are there. Some of the last names are actually your last names. I, I've seen in the last week Dunning, Crandall, 
more. And it's weird when you see people's names you know like that, uh, especially when they're not real common. Any, anyway, I, I think of those gravestones and, and the lives that they lived. I think of the struggles with habitual sin that they had. I think of their, their dreams that were fulfilled sometimes and, and just heartbreaking at times. I think of their frustrations, of them singing and dancing and laughing and crying. And, and these stones represent actual lives that were actually lived. And, and, and these people are, are, are dead and they're buried and they're actually six feet down below that stone. And, and as creepy as that is, the idea that they're going to be brought back to, to life one day it is just strange. And, and yet the idea that, that they lived a life never to be brought back to life, that that was all there ever was of their whole existence is honestly more strange. And so my hope this morning is, is that you're convinced that, that Jesus actually rose from the dead and, and that God has actually resurrected your soul to believe the gospel and, and thus secured that when you die, your soul will be present with God and that, that one day he will rise your body from the grave to be reunited with your soul. And this isn't just hopeful thinking, okay? It's not an opiate for the masses. It, it, it isn't. This is how God reveals reality, right, in the scriptures, this is what's true. In 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 17, Paul is writing to Christians who are thinking about loved ones who have died. And listen to what he says here. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, meaning dead, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first, and then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. So do we, do we grieve death? Yes. Even the death of other Christians? Yes. We, we grieve death because it shows what, what a mess that sin has brought upon this world. We, we, we grieve death because it separates us from loved ones. We grieve death because we hate death. But we don't grieve like others. We grieve differently because we have hope. Not just hope in the uncertain sense, but a certain hope, gospel hope, because our brothers and our sisters in Christ will be brought back to life. And can you imagine how bizarre an experience the resurrection will be? But crazy things happen. We're living through crazy times now. This will be crazier. But it's real. See, the scripture is a, a means of grace for us. And I, I want to read a few more passages for you, which, which just confirm the resurrection is, is an, to an eternal life for those who trust in Jesus. Listen to this, John 6, 40. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. 1 Corinthians six fourteen, And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Romans 8:11 If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus 
Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. When I really let this truth sink in, it it gives me absolute chills. Chills. We are seriously going to live forever. Because if I'm honest and in like the scary moments and I start to think about eternity and death, if, I, if I'm just perfectly honest, living forever, that, that's my heart's greatest desire. It, it, you know, living forever in the, in the sense of with others, li- with the Lord himself, is it, just my greatest desire. And, and it also just begins this strange string of questions in my mind. Maybe, maybe you do this, you know, with, what are we going to look like? Am I going to look the same or am I going to be like 6'5 with a model body? What, what will I look like? Or, you know, can I eat all the bluebell ice cream I want? Is there going to be name brand foods there that I have grown attached to? Or, or is there something way better? Um, you know, are, are there eggs so that we can make popovers? Are, are we going to wear clothes or are we going to walk around naked? And that's a real question because Adam and Eve walked around naked and it was no big deal. What are we going to do? I don't know. Um, will I remember my life? Will, will I think back to the 2017 World Series where the Astros won it, kind of won it? Uh, are, are, are we going to remember things like our sin? Is that going to be possible to even remember sin? Will, will, will I be aware of those who, who are not there with us? Loved ones who, who don't know the Lord. What, what will we do? What, what does a day look like, right? Is there, is there baseball or soccer adventures, you know, going through someplace and just discovering God's endlessly new creation? Or, or can we fly? What will my relationship with Laura be like in the kingdom? <clears throat> what will corporate worship look like? Certainly there'll be no smoke machines, but, but what will it look like? Um, and and, and I'm, I'm betting, I'm hoping after this whole corona thing that it, it doesn't involve us watching screens. Surely not. But, but can you imagine? I, I don't know the answers to those questions. We have ideas for some of them, but I, I don't know answers for sure. It's, it's, it's mostly a, a glorious mystery because God has chosen not to reveal much to us. And, and yet in the book of Revelation, chapter 21, verses 3 through 4, we, we do learn just a little more. It reads this. It says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And even knowing that little, isn't it? Doesn't it sound wonderful? Isn't it comforting? So, so here's what I want you to do today. It's simple. Believe. Believe. Yes, I know. This requires a God to give you belief, the gift of that. But I want you to, to focus on this gift that God gives that we call faith. Believe the gospel. Believe that you are indeed yourself a sinner. Believe that God has raised Jesus from the grave, truly. Believe that he has resurrected your soul, that you now have faith and a relationship with God. 
but believe that you are filled with the Holy Spirit, that that's a real thing. Believe that when you breathe your last breath, you will be in the spiritual presence of Christ, your Savior. Believe that your brothers and sisters in Christ who are today dead will one day be raised to everlasting life. Believe that your own body and soul will be reunited to each other for eternity. Believe that life, believe that there is more to life than what you have seen so far. And believe all of this for the simple reason that it's true. Now I want to end with the words of of Jesus to Martha um, after her brother Lazarus died and she's mourning. He says this in John eleven twenty five, 25. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for this life. Even this bizarre corona life we, we're now living. We know we will eventually die. And if our faith is in Jesus, then at that moment we will be in your presence. And at a later time, our bodies will be risen from the grave to dwell with you in your perfect kingdom forever. That's true. And yet we live in a culture that views every resurrection as fairy tale. And so we ask you to strengthen our faith daily to believe your word, to seek you, and to find rest in you. Holy Spirit, if there are those who do not have faith in Christ hearing this sermon today, please open their eyes and their hearts to trust in Jesus. Work in the way that only you can. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.